Welcome to Culture Goes Pop, episode 14. I am Scott Wilson. And I'm Steve Strobridge. And on this week's show, we will be reviewing Thor Love and Thunder, which was released this past Friday, Thursday night, if you went to the preview screenings. And right off the top, I'm going to be issuing a spoiler alert for everything that comes after. So from this point forward, if you do not want to be spoiled for Thor Love and Thunder, stop the podcast, press pause or stop it right here. Wait until you see the film and then pick up where you left off with us. All right, there you go. Spoiler alert has been issued. Danger, Will Robinson. Spoilers ahead. All right, Scott, so let's just dive in. You and I saw this together. And um, kick it off, man. I know you just wrote a little uh, brief summary on Facebook that you posted, and uh, I like that. So I don't know if you want to start off with that or just a new version of that, but just kick us off, Scott. Oh, I can pretty much wing it because those were... While that summary pretty much summed up my thoughts, um, long story short, in a nutshell, I enjoyed the film, but I think that in this movie, we sort of see the MCU approach to humor being taken to its limit or its logical conclusion. I think if they push it much further or if they go much further in that direction, you're running a risk of these films having no stakes at all, just feeling so lighthearted and so irreverent and so light as a feather that nothing is going to really stick to you or get a visceral reaction from you as a viewer. Uh, I think that Taika Waititi's approach, it felt a bit fresher in Thor Ragnarok. I think in this one, it felt a little bit more forced. I'm not sure exactly why that is. And that's not to say that none of the humor works, that's not to say that the visuals aren't still vibrant and fun and all of that stuff, but it felt a little strained this time. I could feel some of the some of the jokes did feel a little forced, and the film almost did feel meandering there in the middle act. I think that when we get to the point in the film where Gore, the God Butcher, plays a more prominent role in the proceedings that's where the movie really picks up for me and from that point on I can it's I'm on its wavelength and there's stakes and there's you know consequences to what happens but long and short I like the film but with some reservations right I would agree with all that I think the escape clause on the humor heavy approach to this is that the story is being told it starts off by now gather around kids i'm going to tell you a story about thor right so it's it starts off by framing this to where the story is being retold by um the rock dude whose name i can't think of right now right is is rock friend right so you're hearing the retelling of it as a campfire story to kids so it it embellishments and approaches are framed based on that retelling so it starts off by basically framing this as being a campfire story and then we see it play out as the movie we start to watch as sort of justification for the heavy humor um, and, and I think that's how they thought they were going to get away with it, so to speak. Right. Uh, but, you know, w- where Thor Ragnarok was what I would call an action comedy because it had the perfect blend of action and comedy. Now, Thor Love and Thunder, as far as act one went, I can't even, I was first thinking, well, maybe I'd call it a comedy action because it was more comedy than action, but it's so much comedy, I feel like Act one was just a comedy, you know, because it was all humor. Yes, it was. They were acting out actiony type scenes, but it was done so comedically that I feel like act one was a straight through comedy. And it, like you say, it's it's not it wasn't bad, but I feel it was just too much comedy and not a balance of comedy. Um, and, and of course, everything paid off in the end. And long story short, I, I love the movie. I would highly recommend anybody go see this movie, but I do feel from my own taste that it was way too comedy heavy up front. Right. And that's my biggest criticism about the film. I think at this point, I'm beginning to wonder if the MCU is sort of using that kind of humor as a security blanket, because that was one of its strengths. I felt 
starting out in the earlier years of like phase one phase two i felt that the, the humor was kind of one of its strengths was that okay we're not going to do the same thing that dc has done with its characters as of late we're not going to take the christopher nolan slash Zack snyder approach of grimdark edgelord serious we're going to allow a few smiles we're going to allow our heroes to wear something closer to their original costumes and uniforms we're not going to have everything be leather like in the matrix we're not going to try to have everything super grounded and super quote-unquote realistic we're going to be a bit more loose we're going to be a bit more jovial we're going to allow you to have fun with these characters on their adventures along with a bit of seriousness thrown in but i'm beginning to wonder if at this point we're seeing the limits of that approach well at least with thor and I think this Thor became a, a runaway train in a way because Thor uh, Ragnarok was probably the best received Thor movie because of the comedy. And, and another one that pulled this off pretty well is Guardians of the Galaxy, right? right. Guardians of the Galaxy were the, what, what I would call an action comedy because it was an action movie at its core, but it had the humor woven through so seamlessly that it didn't distract from things. So you had, you know, Peter Quill is just a funny, wisecracking type of guy. That's the character. So um, Guardians of the Galaxy pulled it off well. Thor Ragnarok kind of carried that. But then Thor became known as the kind of wisecracky uh, top tier phase one superhero. And that got carried over even further in uh, What If. So there's a whole episode of What If to where Thor almost basically became like the college guy who just, you know, he's a fraternity dude. He's just life is a party. And it was so nice to see Chris Hemsworth do that role and, and do the character that way because it was a complete almost parody or lampoon of what Thor has been in the MCU. But I feel like people loved that approach to Thor so much that they just started running with that. And so we kind of got, you know, college um, animal house version of Thor in this movie in live action. Uh, and again, it, at, at the end of the day, the movie worked. But for, for us more serious type people, we probably would agree that the humor was too strong, too much for too long up front. If it had been kind of balanced out and kind of woven, uh, it probably would have worked out better. But what we got was an act one and an act two and an act three, right? Act one was the comedy. Act two was when things got serious and and very thematically. The thing that struck me in act two when they went to you know try to re rescue the children, the world went black and white, right? And to me, this was almost the opposite of what happened in The Wizard of Oz, right? In Wizard of Oz, when we're in Kansas, we start right. off monochromatic. And then once we make it to Oz, boom, flip the switch and we're in Technicolor, right? In Act 2, we left all the humor and now we're dealing with the serious core of what's going on here. There's an evil SOB who's hell-bent on killing all the gods and he's captured all these children as bait to lure Thor. Now we're dealing with the actual protagonists in the story and we're dealing and we're and we're no longer dealing with it in a comedic way so act two thematically and visually really let us know okay guys fun fun's over time to get serious right and then act three became the big climax and the superhero battle and and all that good stuff so um and even not, not only did it give you a strong comedic act one a serious act two and a good action climax they even managed to sprinkle in some um tear jerky kind of you know, family uh, love and, uh, you know, pulling on your heartstrings type stuff too. So that was a good emotional mix, but it wasn't an emotional roller coaster. You didn't have your ups and downs, but everything was there, you know, and it, and it kind of closed very happily and bittersweetly. Um, so a really good ending to, to a, a great overall movie. Right. I did like the, the, the tearjerker moments or the attempts at tearjerker moments. I like the message the film was trying to deliver with those moments. And I mean, I, I guess since we've already given a spoiler warning at the top of the show, we can say what those moments were referring to. Uh, Thor's love interest played by Natalie Portman. What is her name? Jane Foster. Although they did Jane have fun Foster. with that. <laughs> they right, butchered her right. name that, comedically. That was, that, that was one of the funnier. That was the funnier, one of the funnier movies when they, when they referred to her as Jane right. Fonda one time and Jodie Foster another time. And they're, that was um, one of the funnier running jokes throughout the film. So I'll, I'll give them that one. Like I, butchering her name on purpose. Yeah, right, that, right, that that did have make me smile. That did make me laugh at certain points. So 
you know, they scored a they scored a few th- free throws with that. Right. I, I did like making Thor deal with that kind of that kind of a loss. Um, one thing I'm noticing is it's almost, and I don't know if this is intentional on the part of the filmmakers. I wonder if the character of Thor throughout this movie was maybe the overemphasis on humor was meant to sort of show that he's sort of pretending he's going through the motions very he's actually a very sad person who's experienced a lot of loss he's lost his father he's lost his brother his people have been displaced and he's had to find him a new home and i wonder if that's thor overcompensating a bit for the fact that you know things have been rough for him these past few years and Honestly, I don't believe that that's part of the subtext of the film, or at least not the way the film is well, showing it. Well, it was pretty it. much said in those exact words. Oh, it was? Okay. Well, he just, I mean, when they're saying basically what happened, he said that. He's like, listen, I've been through this, and I've been through that, and I've lost this, and I've lost that. He's actually saying that to Jane. So he pretty much acknowledged everything you just said in his own words as he was talking to Jane. Right. Okay. And he finally had to come clean with why did I keep you at arm's length? And I was afraid of attachments and I'm afraid of losing things and this and that and the other, right? Because he, because like you mentioned, he's lost everything. He's lost his mother, his father, his brother, his home world. Um, he literally has lost everything that mattered to his entire world. Um, and that's one of the reasons why he did not necessarily want to lose her, but in, in, in not wanting to lose her, he did lose her. <laughs> right, right. But, but they did have closure. So that was great, you know? And I'll admit, one of the things I kind of wanted more from in this film, but I think maybe this kind of four quadrant tentpole event film superhero blockbuster is probably ill-equipped to provide what I'm looking for, is a bit more exploration of one of the central central questions that the film asks with the character of Gore. What happens when the gods that you worship, what happens when you feel as though your prayers have not been answered? by those gods how do you deal with that how do you deal with real loss when the one thing that your life is centered around you feel as though the gods have either taken that from you or allowed that to be taken from you and that's a question that christianity deals with quite a bit if you ever read the bible the bible and i kind of wish the film kind of i I wish we got some more time with gore that's that's what i wanted more of yeah gore was a great villain and he was he, he like all good villains they don't start off as a bad guy. They become consumed, which literally right. what happened to him. He came and so his journey of being faithful and devoted and being the last of the followers of his God, only to finally meet that God and find out that that God does not care anything about their followers at all. And it's like, it doesn't matter. I'll, there'll be more of you. So, you know, be gone with you. Um, that reality check for him on his almost dying breath to realize that the gods do not care about their followers. That was what basically popped his cork, blew his, you know, blew his gasket to make him become the God killer. The God and, and then grabbing that blade and the, uh, what's, what's the name of the blade that the God killing blade? Oh, the Necro Sword. I think the Necro Sword. So the Necro Sword is the evil enchanted item that has the power to get, kill gods. In order to grant that power to its wielder, it also then consumes them and corrupts them. So the tool he used to exact his revenge was also the one that corrupted him to put him on his the dark path that he was on. So the whole idea of how he became the villain was done well. He was a faithful person who realized that having misplaced faith was the wrong thing to do. So now he's taking out his revenge on all of the gods. Um, So listen, are there bad, just like politicians or or people in law enforcement or celebrities or anybody else? When, When you have people in power, are there bad people who are corrupt and abuse that power? Absolutely. But does that mean that all politicians are bad or all police are bad or anything else? No, but he basically said, we had a few bad apples, so I'm now going to chop down every single apple tree in the multiverse. Um, so took it to the extreme, just becoming completely obsessed and possessed, literally, on that on that voyage. So it made him a very interesting uh, villain. And some of the news I remember reading leading up to this was people saying that Gore was now, and, and Christian Bale's performance of Gore, they were kind of ranking him as the, the best villain um, in the MCU to date. And I feel that's a really broad 
bold claim and now having seen the movie I would not necessarily agree with that claim. I wouldn't say he was a bad character. I wouldn't say he's a bad villain. I certainly wouldn't say anything negative about his performance, but we've had so many good villains in the MCU. Obviously the biggest one being Thanos. And Thanos was a very complex character. He was not evil or homicidal. He honestly felt he was doing the universe a favor by ridding half of its population so it would not struggle. So he didn't do that just to be sadistic, right? Um there there were there were really good villains. Loki was a great villain. Loki being the villain in the first Thor movie and the first Avengers movie. Loki was an, a really interesting character who was twisted but had you know some goodness in him he was a complex character the red skull was an interesting villain he's evil to the core but he was in so we've had a lot of good villains so to say that gore is the best villain the MCU has have i don't think is fair to the other good villains that we have had but is he on par with all of them absolutely he is as good as and equal to what thanos was throughout the um uh, you know the the avengers run um and, and and christian bale's performance was stellar i mean when you see the guy he looks emaciated he looks like a starving guy in the desert his eyes are socketed in he's really thin he looks like a guy who literally was starving to death to find his god in that opening scene so what christian bale brought to that role he brought blood sweat and tears heart and soul to it so i'll give him a thousand percent credit for 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 doing the role but i don't think it's fair to say that that villain as a character was the best villainous character we've had but i think he's on par with the best he's equal to the best i like the character but i don't feel like i saw enough of him to really place him on that mantle just yet I like the conception of the character. I like the basic idea, and I like Christian Christian Bale. I like his approach to the material. I like the, how the mood of the movie changes every time you see him, like it, the same way that his character on screen sort of infects everything around him with this sickness. That's the effect he has on the viewer. Whenever you see him, it's sort of a reminder that okay, yeah, with all the funny games that are going on, eventually we're going to have to come down to business with this guy. So yeah. it's all going to come down to a confrontation with him but I don't think we saw enough of him and that that's kind of been a problem with a few MCU films is sometimes they don't really give us enough time to sit with the villain to really get to really get inside of his brain and to really understand why he feels the way that he they've done it a few times they did it with Killmonger very effectively in Black Panther I thought there have been a few other times I mean Thanos Arguably, Infinity War was more his movie than it was the Avengers in many ways. He was kind of the hero of that story. As they say, everybody's the hero of their own story. So even mm -hmm. though he was the villain, in his mind, he was still the hero. And the ending of Infinity War with him sitting and looking at the sunrise or looking at the horizon or the sunset from his farm kind of, I, th I think, put the period at the end of the sentence and emphasizing in his mind, he just did what was right. With Gore the God Butcher, I would have liked to have spent more time with him, and I kind of didn't necessarily like that the movie seemed to be done with him, or the MCU seemed to be done with him at the end of this film. I feel like there's, we could have gotten more out of that character. We, it would have been nice to see him again. Maybe we will. I don't know. Yeah, because of Disney Plus and because of the whole multiverse has been open, I wouldn't say that we necessarily have seen the end of him but the movie definitely brought his story to a conclusion but marvel has a way of stringing things along <laughs> later on right. so um but he was definitely a character worth more exploring and seeing more of but sometimes less is more because the fact you're saying i wish i saw him more sometimes that's a good thing when you when you get too much then you might be saying the opposite. Oh man, there was this all right. about him. And like the Kylo Ren, oh my God, this guy's just a whiny guy who can't, who throws temper tantrums. So sometimes for, be careful what you ask for. Um, the fact that you felt like you could, you wanted more is probably a good thing because leaving the audience wanting more is one of the good things of storytelling, right? So, um, but well, he, was me, a, he was a great villain. Let me mention just some things that I liked about the movie so listeners don't walk away saying, Geez, this guy is being so hard on this thing. I saw it the other night with the wife and kids, and I thought it was a lot of fun. I did like the needle drops. I thought one of the most effective things in Ragnarok was the use of Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. 
because whenever I think of the kind of visuals that I think should go with the Thor film, I kind of think of those heavy metal album covers that I used to see in the record store as a kid that always seemed to be depicting these sort of warriors or epic battles. And I know there was some sacrilegious imagery that went into a lot of that, but it really, you know, Led Zeppelin is, I think, was like the perfect soundtrack, or at least that song was the perfect soundtrack to Ragnarok. I liked the Guns N' Roses needle drops this time around. I don't think they were as effective as Immigrant Song, but I think that they did set a nice tone for the proceedings. They kind of gave you an idea of the spirit in which this film was going about its business. I also liked the use of black and white in that segment that you talked about. It was very jarring and like, I never really, I didn't think about that, but you know, good call on that one. Wizard of Oz, sort of when it switches from black and white to color. And this is sort of the inverse. Yep. This this is sort of, this is a guy that's literally taking the color out of life and the universe. Yeah. So to speak. That's his his holy mission. I liked Thor's interaction with the children at the end. I liked him sort of, that transference of power. And oh, that was great. Yeah. And, and, that, and, and that's, that's, that's one of the things. And I wish if I had done my homework, um, uh, the alter ego of Thor was called Donald Blake and Donald Blake in the old Thor comic books from like the seventies, Donald Blake was a doctor. He was kind of a skinny guy and he had a cane. So he was kind of a lame duck. He wasn't the one you would think of. Uh, as being a superhero, kind of like the Bruce Banner to the Hulk. And so he would have to kind of recite a phrase um, to turn into the Hulk. And I forgot what that phrase exactly was, but it was especially it was played out in the in the uh, in the cartoons and stuff. But Thor kind of used that phrase, which was kind of neat because they did do a couple of nods to Donald Blake. Right. So in the first Thor movie, when they're trying to sneak him out of the hospital, they find a doctor's coat to put on Thor and there's a name tag on there. And you see for a brief second that that name tag says Dr. Donald Blake. So that was kind of an Easter eggy nod or homage to how Thor was in the comic books. Obviously in the MCU, Thor is his own independent character. He's not summoned to earth or channeled through a mild mannered character. Um, but in the end, that whole line where, you know, by you know, kind of like by the power of Grayskull, the He-Man thing, he, he citates that line and that's what infuses the kids with the temporary power of Thor as right. well. So he charges all of their weapons and makes them all a bunch of um, bad ass guardians, badass, badass guardians. So I'm um, right. seeing all the kids with their supercharged weapons in that final battle was absolutely freaking awesome. Um, and that that again kind of bookended the whole nod to the comic book character. Where we had the mild mannered Donald Blake character, and he had that phrase he had to utter. Um, I believe that this four movie Thor arc really has completed Thor's story. In my opinion, not that he won't still show up in other characters, but I think they they did a good character arc and a good closure to the whole character and kind of bookended some of the homages to the comic book original. Right. And I've read the original arcs of the God Butcher and the God Bomb. Those are grimly serious. Even the art is some beautiful artwork in that arc, by the way. I can't remember the artist's name, but it's some really beautiful artwork that's fitting of Thor's origins, Norse mythology, it, it feels appropriate for the material, but the tonally, it's again very different from what the MCU has offered. And that's usually the case with most MCUs, most of Marvel's adaptations of their own comics. They're not always tonally in line with what's on the page, and they shouldn't necessarily be that. You know, I'm not one of these guys that thinks that everything has to be slavishly beholden to the source material i'm all for you know experimenting trying out new things because film and comics are two different mediums so you need that kind of experimentation i also one thing i also liked was just the irony of the conflict at the center of this film is that gore is coming up against thor who's effectively a god the god of thunder Mm mm-hmm But in Thor's case, we've seen he's grown into a god that tries to to do right by those that have faith in him. Just to do right, just to do right, period. Just to do right, period. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But, but, you know, it's it's, it's just sort of 
Gore is so blinded by his this unholy mission of his that he can't see that in Thor. That he can't see. Wait a minute, this guy is not like, you know, the god that I encountered at first. Right. The, right. So he had his god was was one bad apple, and now all apples must die. Is yeah. kind of his his mo. Um, but yeah, the, the humor was the humor wasn't bad. I, I, the humor was great. I laughed out loud so many times. Um, so I was thoroughly entertained. But as the serious side of me wished it was balanced more and it wasn't like a full the first hour being nonstop laughs. Um, that, like I said, that's really my only only complaint is that right. it was really humor heavy way up front. You're just hit over the head with the humor hammer um, and you do get a chance to kind of calm down from that. And, and it all pays off. But yeah, that, that really is my only complaint. What I really loved seeing a Natalie Portman reprise her role. I loved see, and then she kind of portrayed what Donald Blake was in the comics because he was right. kind of sickly and she was sickly. So he was a sickly thin guy who was only strong when he held the hammer. That became her thing too. So she so we got to see and, and I don't know if they kind of did a Tobey Maguire, um, uh, Captain America type thing where they had the person's face uh, put on a skinny d- body double or if she filmed it in two different times because she did have to bulk up for the role of the Mighty Thor. So she had some she had some guns on her and she had some nice beefcake biceps that she did that was not CGI. So I don't know if they filmed her. I don't know if they filmed thin, sickly, emaciated Natalie Portman scenes first and then she beefed up and they filmed her twice or if they you know, CG'd her face onto a body double or just skinny CG'd her body. I'm not sure how they did that, but you got to see her being two different characters, the very vulnerable, um, you know, terminally ill person. And then the super strong um, hero, but a hero who is admittedly and is being acknowledged as being a new hero. She's like, well, this is my first bad guy. I'm going to fight. That was some of the funny moments. He's like, oh, you never forget your first, right? When I need a really cool catchphrase when I hit him, should I say like, bow, you know, suck my hammer or this? So she, those moments where she's trying to figure out how do I hero? I thought those were priceless. You know, they were funny and they were endearing at the same time. And it's kind of poignant and bittersweet because of course, you know, again, we've already acknowledged spoilers. Well, we end up, we end up losing her so she does end up being consumed by the the molnir the hammer and cancer and everything else so um but her time as a hero her her star shone so brightly her hero moment was a glorious one and i think also a, f- a fitting way to close that character arc in these three or four movies where she wasn't just the throwaway love interest she was a big part of thor's life and she actually ended up helping save the day with thor i thought was great closure uh, for their relationship and for that character right i wish she could have been present in ragnarok i know there was some behind the scenes issues with that i think that patty jenkins was originally supposed to direct i don't know if it was ragnarok or the second thor film but there were just some issues going on somewhere and that sort of gradually led to her sort of dropping out of the franchise i wish that she could have been there for each entry it would have felt a bit more complete right instead of instead of feeling sort of like a callback because at this time it kind of feels like a callback because she was absent for an entire film but you know that being said I, I did like the closure that it offered I liked seeing her go to Valhalla in one of the stinger scenes what the mid I think that was the mid credit scene if I'm not mistaken um the mid credit scene the mid credit scene revealed the future villain it was the final post credit scene where we see her going to Valhalla with with okay, Idris Elba all right, so I got that yeah. I got I got that screwed yeah. up but yeah. um and the, you know the mid credit scene that reveals again spoiler alert if you've been listening this far, you obviously obviously don't care about spoilers, but I'll put it out there again anyway. Major spoiler alert. Hercules has now been introduced into the MCU. And Hercules has been a character with Marvel. I'm not sure how many decades. But so we're going to see him now. And I guess I'm guessing that's going to be a major conflict in the next Thor film. 
time will tell. And, and and I'm sorry, Scott, but because we we talk about pop culture and all kinds of movies, I can't say or listen to the name Hercules without doing the whole Eddie Murphy grandmother thing with the Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. So I was waiting for you to do that. But anytime I get the chance to say the word Hercules, that's how I say it. I say Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so. oh, got you. No, I wasn't even thinking. That wasn't even on my yeah, mind. Uh, that, that's just burning my mind. It's like another thing, too. I've been thinking about this. Like your name. There's two sound drops that I should be running for you because your name is Scott Wilson. And the sound drop that runs through my head all the time is the old Dennis the Menace. Hey, Mr. Wilson. That I've heard all my life. (laughs) And then then the other one is the woman from the Austin Powers referring to Scott Evil. She's like, Scott! You know, the high-pitched scream of that. So right. it's like, I almost feel like I need to have those sound drops queued up. That I, that I, anytime I mention your name, I have to refer to you by one of those two names. But Hercules, to me, always has to be said three times. Hercules, Hercules, right. Hercules. Because <laughs> other than that, you're going to be thinking about those old, um, who was it, Steve Reeves that played Hercules in a bunch of older oh, films oh, decades I don't know, ago. Though. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. I, I can't remember at all. But Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, well, so so it doesn't sound like we're poo-pooing on the movie. We both enjoyed the movie. We've, I think we did say that briefly yes. up front. Um, let me talk about some things in the movie, too, that I thought Marvel did well with, too. And it was kind of dealing with what a lot of people refer to as wokeness in certain movies. So Valkyrie is being revealed as a... Um, as a you know a homosexual character she likes women but it wasn't thrown in your face you know you 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 hear her being mentioned that yes yeah, she did have a, a someone that she loved and lost and they refer to her, her her lost love as a she so they're acknowledging that this is a woman who loves other women but they didn't beat you over the head with it and the other one too i can't think of thor's friend's name the rock dude what's the rock dude's name help me out here <laughs> let me see here we've got the <laughs> we need to ask here. google <laughs> We got the information here. I just pulled up Korg. Korg. Okay. So his name is Korg. K-O-R-G. Korg. He's the funny guy. He's the comic relief. He's the one who starts off telling the stories. So Korg, in a way, is also revealed as a species that is a basically a same-sex species where all of them are male. And so they they kind of procreate by holding hands over the over the lava pit until a new baby rock baby is born but all of their species is male so they also dealt with another kind of same sex relationship but in a way that was not it was subtle and tactful and tasteful and it didn't beat you over the head cuz this what, what I hate hearing cuz I haven't seen the new Buzz Lightyear but apparently there is a scene in the new Buzz Lightyear of of some type of same sex quote unquote issue for some and all you hear about is how everybody's trying to be woke now and you know Disney and Marvel and everybody are just trying to be so woke and just kind of beating this stuff over people's heads I didn't feel like I was being assaulted by saying you know hey guys people are gay and and it's okay and deal with it it didn't feel that way it was just mentioned as a fact of life because that's what it is and in reality too it's a fact of life and so it played out very well Um, so there's some things that were running through my mind as I was watching it you know Right. Most people who that word woke it's one of those words that gets so overused and abused that I'm starting to wonder if the people who keep using it in a derogatory fashion, if they even understand what it was initially supposed to mean by the people who first started using it in that way. Um so I'm not even going to address that one. Okay, we won't yeah. address the whole, yeah. Yeah, I'm and, not even going to address you know, that And one. another one, too. I just remember reading the headlines about how certain countries did not want to play the new Doctor Strange movie because of some homosexual element to it. And it turns out the only, quote-unquote, homosexual element was the fact that America, uh, the, the girl in there, America... Gonzalez, I feel so bad not remembering things, but yeah, she acknowledged having two mothers, and, and that was it. So it wasn't like the character herself was gay or had you know, you know, um, same sex relations on camera or anything like that. She just said, I, I, "Yeah, I have two moms. You know, deal with it." Um, but there were countries that were getting all upset about that that they weren't going to air the movie in their country. So when you hear these kind of big headlines and scandalous things, you really have to wonder what's going through people's minds. I I like it when we can acknowledge that the world is a mixed bag 
we, we, we have all kinds of cultures. We come in different sizes and shapes and colors. And yes, you know, like it or not, there are same sex relationships. It's part of life. And if we can do it by showing it as this is just how it is, and we're not trying to beat anybody over the head with it, and it's done well, I think that's just depicting how the world is. Not only how the world is here in reality on our planet Earth, but how other versions of us in fantasy land should be too. It takes all kinds to make the multiverse go round, you know? Right. I mean, and, and it's unfortunate that we need the fact that we need our popular media to even let certain people know that the world is a quote unquote mixed bag. I would figure any adult with half a brain would have processed <laughs> that much by this point in life. But, you know, it's just one of those things that it's just, it is what it is. And I think you're always going to, but you're always going to run into that. I mean, especially now that. American popular movies, Hollywood movies, Hollywood blockbusters in the last 20 years, and even before that, are they're kind of now seen as a major export. These things are made to gross a billion. They have to gross a billion dollars just to be in the black in certain cases. Mm-hmm. You know, if they don't gross over a billion, they are not seen by the parent studio as profitable. And in order to, you can't, no film at least up until this point has made a billion dollars just domestically you need to play internationally to make at least half of that gross so you're going to run into barriers like this in certain continents cultural and religious yeah so this is not the last time you're going to hear about those sorts of things and um for me personally they just sort of they fly over my head at this point yeah yeah But at at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, I thoroughly enjoyed Thor Love and Thunder. I really loved the way it wrapped up this great, great, great. And by the way, the daughter in there that he ends up rescuing, that's Chris Helmsworth's real life daughter. I just saw a a thing on social media where she was um, a, a baby in one of his first or second movies. And now she's like 10 or 11 years old in this movie. So that is his actual daughter. Well, also his son is in there, and the sort of the time lapse montage where they show him running. Okay, that's him. One of the, one of those is his son. I don't young, know how many. Okay, one of, of the young Thors is yes. yeah. And I thought that was great because you know at the end of the um, at the Avengers Endgame, we see basically Big Lebowski, Fat Thor. So how does Fat Thor go from how, how do we go from Fat Sad Thor to ripped God Thor again? Well, that they had the whole workout montage, and I thought that was great. And it was really brief, too. It, it was it was no longer than it needed to be. Speaking of ripped, Chris Hemsworth is rumored to have been 250 to 260 pounds during the filming of this. And it really does show, I mean, if anybody has ever had a comic book physique in any of these Marvel films, he has achieved that. Yes, definitely. he definitely had the godlike body in this movie, and he had to eat eight meals a day. Wow, to maintain I, that body, and I, and I eat two, and it goes straight to my hips. So, <laughs> right, so, right. Well, you don't have a personal trainer yelling at yeah. you the whole time. You yeah, know, I'm not. Bur- I'm not burning ten thousand calories an hour with my workout regime. I can tell you that. Much. Right, so, right. Yeah. But that's that's part of the package. That's how he earns his check. Yeah. So, so yeah, definitely give it a, a, a huge, huge thumbs way up. At the end of the day, it was everything you wanted. Um, I wish they would have mixed it up a little bit more. But listen, I didn't write the movie, and you know, I, I couldn't have wrote a, a better movie myself. So um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Great entertainment. Great addition to Phase Four of the MCU. Uh, you know, everything that I'm reading now, there's, they're saying that phase four is the muddiest phase because there's so many things going on and there's, it's really hard to connect the dots. So when you have things like the Eternals and, and, and Shang-Chi and you have all these streaming series like, um, uh, Falcon and, and, uh, in Hawkeye and Miss Marvel and now this Thor movie and and the 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 guess here is that we're heading towards a secret wars which would be the next end game type level Avengers level event but if we're getting to the secret war and the Spider-Man movies too all kind of fit into this where it's not really clear Doctor Strange and then the multiverse of madness all these things are happening in phase 4 but 
in, in phase one, it was so obvious where we were going. We had a few movies that were obviously leading towards the assembling of the Avengers. It was almost being telegraphed to us. And then once we started the Avengers, it was so obvious where we were going with getting all these Infinity Stones that we were heading towards a, a, a showdown with Thanos. So, you know, those first couple of phases, we it was very clear the direction of where we're going. Right now, phase four, it's very unclear where is the pun intended end game of this phase. What What's going to be the the uh, the summit here, the pinnacle and the climax to all these movies and streaming series? I'm not sure that it's obvious. It's not very obvious. And Thanos provided perhaps the greatest beacon that any mega franchise in movie history has ever had. From the moment we saw him in, I can't remember if it was the mid credit scene in Avengers or the end credit scene in Avengers. But from the moment the audience saw him and saw that grimace from the side, that side profile grimace, yeah, he, he provided a great beacon that was something that our heroes were hurtling toward. He was the end goal, the end game of the title. Yes. I don't know if Marvel, I've often wondered, can they pull that same hat trick twice? I don't know if they could use, say, Galactus in the same way that they've used Thanos. I don't I don't know if it would have the same effect on audiences. But yeah, I would tell you to the earlier point, I do think that this phase feels rather muddled. And I'm sure there's probably some game plan that Kevin, Kevin Feige has implemented that we aren't seeing yet or hasn't crystallized yet. But for, yeah, for my money, I'd say that, uh, yeah, muddled is a good word. It feels sort of rudder, rudderless. Rudderless. Okay. A ship, a ship, <laughs> a ship without direction, a ship without a course, huh? Um, yeah, we could so be just, wrong. We could be wrong. So it, it could be so it could be one of the things that once you see it, you're like, how did I miss it? You know, I think one of the big disappointments with multiverse of madness is that the treatment we got to the multiverse in Spider-Man, how we brought back, you know, we got three Spider-Men together and we got all the villains from three different iterations of these franchises and brought them all together. That bar was raised so high, I believe everybody wanted the multiverse of madness to just keep doing that. Let's just keep bringing in all of these other characters from other franchises that we wish we saw more of or that we never got to see. And so we got the first tease of the Fantastic Four with Mr. Fantastic, most intelligent man alive, you know. Um, but I think people were disappointed because people wanted to see the, uh, they wanted to see freaking uh, Tom Cruise as, a, as an alternate Iron Man. And we wanted to see this and we wanted to see that. And so we were just hoping to get a lot more of this. Let's just pluck, let's, let's put together like the, um, the uh, this, the uh, Pro Bowl where we take the best player from every NFL team and we put together this great game of the best athletes on one field. Um, I think people were expecting Multiverse of Madness to be that, and that wasn't what it was at all. We got a little taste of that, but it wasn't what the movie was. That wasn't the movie's goal. That was almost, it almost felt like it was being given to us as fan service. Um, because when you throw out the word multiverse, the, 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 the gate has been opened already. The expectations are so high you can go so many different directions and what if did a great job with that too, you know? So I don't think multiverse of madness really honed in on multiverses as much as it should have. <laughs> well, as people who have been reading these things for decades, and been following this stuff for decades at this point, for me, definitely most of my life, I don't know that anything can really appease our demands or our expectations. And, you know, people say that they go into these things without expectations. I'm always a little skeptical of that. I think we all have a certain level of expectations, especially if we were fans of the source material going into this venture. So I, I, I don't know if it's possible to completely get away from that, mm -hmm. but you just kind of have to have a mature attitude about it and temper your expectations with a dose of reality. Nothing is going to live up to what you can create in your own mind. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I try to have my expectations as simple as I hope I'm entertained and, and, and I hope I'm not disappointed. Right? Those, are the only two, those are the only two expectations I have is to not be overly disappointed about a, a component of the movie and to be ultimately entertained by the film by the time it's done. And, and there hasn't really been a Marvel movie that hasn't done that to some level. In fact, my least favorite one has probably been The Eternals. And while I felt like there was disappointing elements to it, at the end of the day, it was still an entertaining 
ride that it took me through. So it kind of balanced out where my least favorite Marvel movie still wasn't a complete flop, you know, but all the other ones, the big ones, they, they've all paid off in the end with being a good story and a good ending and, and a great action ride, you know? Right. I mean, my personal least favorite is probably either Thor The Dark World or Iron Man 2. It's probably one of those two because I, I think that the MCU did get off to a bit of, you know, they came full force rushing out the gate, you know, with Iron Man, of course. And I think that they stumbled a bit with Iron Man 2. So it wasn't as clean of a takeoff as people remember it to be. Right. It's almost like you tripped over one of the hurdles. Right. Yeah. So, but at this point, there's so many entries. I think 29. I mean, I've lost count a long time ago. There's so many entries in this thing that you really can't realistically expect to love every single one of them. And it's kind of to the point now where you kind of got to parse out, just like with the comic titles themselves, when you go into the comic shop, you got to decide which ones you want to buy, what you're going to put on your pull list. You're not you're not necessarily going to follow each and every one of them. I think we're kind of well beyond that at this point. But, you know, we're fans, so we'll find mm. something to argue about regardless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the early MCU movies, it felt like... We had the first of everything, and those were all good. But then it felt like as we were moving forward, they were trying to do three things at once. They were trying to fulfill contractual obligations because we had the actors that said, I'm only going to do so many movies, so I want to get through this contract as soon as I can. We are trying to you know, kind of very rapidly race towards the assembling of the Avengers. And then finally, we are trying to create an excuse to bring another Infinity Stone into the MCU. And like Thor... Um, Thor Dark World to me was a decent movie, but it really was just an excuse to bring in an Infinity Stone. And so some of these movies were just that. We need to have a movie. We need to come up with a two and a half hour excuse to justify the fact that there's a new Infinity Stone coming into the MCU. Um, so it felt like a, lot, a handful of those, like uh, Thor 2, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, even to a degree, just felt like we're just making a movie to make a movie to get the actors through their contractual obligations and and squeeze in another infinity stone drop um some of those things felt that way but all in all if you got two or three bad movies out of nearly 20 or 30 of them it feels like at this point that's not bad that's not a bad track record so right right not a bad not a bad batting average uh there's clearly some quality control in play but yeah i think for thor love and thunder i can say yeah i liked it with some reservations that would be my recommendation i liked it with some reservations yeah and i'd say i would love i didn't i'm gonna say I, I did better than liked it i loved it i loved it and my reservations have already been met a lot of lot of humor too much humor too much a big chunk of consistent humor that i wish would have been kind of interwoven with action and humor so um but still great loved the movie um i would see it again i would see it again tomorrow Honestly, um, I, I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I'm looking forward to coming out on Disney Plus again so I can watch it many times at home. And um, some of my favorite moments were just the variations in the costumes, the, the humor with him um, missing his hammer, you know, because the original Mjolnir that got destroyed, you know, uh, you know, Jane Foster has that. And he's like having some, uh, you know, like seeing his ex-girlfriend and his ex-hammer and some of the humor there talking to the hammer. Did you miss me? Things like that. That, that was that stuff was kind of funny and kind of charming. Um, the outfits, uh, this, the sceneries, the locations, there's so many things. And again, the music, the Guns N' Roses. I love Guns N' Roses. I love Guns N' Roses so much and I've heard them so much. It's almost like when I hear them on the radio now or I'm hearing them on the playlist, I just hit next because I've heard Guns N' Roses so many times. Right. They've been played to death in my lifetime, but every time there was a Guns N' Roses drop in here, it was perfect. And so when you look in the final credits, there was at least four tracks from Guns N' Roses in this movie. So um, great stuff. November Rain, Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise City. There's so many of these things in there. Um, and it all served the story well. Again, maybe not quite as good as Led Zeppelin, but um, hearing all that guns, like, like uh, ACDC was Iron Man's thing, you know. Seemed like Led Zeppelin was a little bit of Thor's thing, but now having Guns N' Roses in camp with Thor 2 is not a bad thing either. Right, um, right. Soundtrack, action, locations, costumes, special effects, visual effects. Another 
uh, enjoyable scene was when they're they're acting out that play, the low budget play in, in Asgard, and Matt Damon's wearing the bad wig and playing as Loki, and the really bad stage effects with the hammer coming on a string like real slow and stuff right. like that. That stuff where they kind of made fun of themselves, I thought was hysterical as well. Some of the insider self-deprecating humor was great too. So it was just a mix of a lot of cool stuff. Agree, agreed, agreed, agreed. I mean, I can't really find fault with any of the elements you just mentioned. Uh, Guns and Roses, you know, at the time, I, I can remember, you know, from I think it was 87, 88 up through 91 and 92 when Guns and Roses was the biggest rock band on earth. So it kind of took me back to that stage in life for a minute just mm-hmm. to hear those. Because uh, I remember waiting for UMTV raps to come on every Saturday night or every the daily version was every afternoon waiting for that to come on and on the weekends right afterward Headbangers Ball would come on but whenever you clicked on MTV Guns N' Roses were plastered all over the place so yeah I'm wondering how much wondering how much Axl Rose got <laughs> <You know? laughs> and Slash and Duff too so right. yeah um, yeah so great soundtrack I uh, loved it. So I'm just going to tease a few things that I've watched that hopefully we can talk about on next week's episode. So I have finished watching all of Miss Marvel season one. Right. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I've finished watching all of Moon Knight. Love that. Right. I have now seen three seasons of all the offerings now for the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. Love that. Can't wait to talk about that. And by the time we do this next week, I'll be done with season three of The Boys. So I'll have a lot of things to talk about that I have seen that are all uh, kind of superhero related. And hopefully you can catch up on some of those, at least Miss Marvel and Moon Knight by next week. And speaking of shows, I'm hoping that we can sometime down the road get to this show. I think it's still in the middle of its season. It just aired the fifth episode. A show called The Old Man that's on FX that I'm really enjoying right now. Who's in that? That's, I think, is it Jeff Bridges? Okay. Plays the title character. And it's like, I'm afraid to say anything more about it because it's one of those shows that's kind of a journey of discovery it's firmly in the action espionage category but it's a journey of discovery when you watch okay. it john, okay. john, Lith- john lithgow was also in it so hopefully I'm, I'm hoping one of these days maybe i can catch you up on okay the, the, and we just started watching another out. one on uh on, on prime video which has got chris pratt in it where he's like a former uh, seal team member that's it would just watch the first episode but it's almost it's got some crazy stuff going on where he's not sure if he's losing his mind or if things are being covered up. He's you know, sure he's dealing with like a concussion or PTSD or if some government agency is pulling things, reality from underneath him and changing what happened and covering things up. So it's a really interesting concept. Kind of almost reminds me of the movie where Tim Robbins where um, the Jacob's Ladder type thing, where Tim Robbins is going through questioning reality type stuff. So there's an element of that that reminded me of that. So just seeing the first episode and seeing Chris Pratt do something that's not Star-Lord and not a new Jurassic World movie was interesting. And he he did a very believable soldier type character who's also a family man and struggling with his PTSD. So uh, seeing the first episode of that is looks like this is a promising series too so um yeah, lots of stuff too many things to watch and not enough time but speaking of time i think we spent way too much time talking about this movie but in summary loved it i recommend anybody and everybody who loves the mcu to see this movie and i liked it with reservations but love and like equals a recommendation <laughs> so we'll wrap up episode 14. I'm Steve Strobridge signing off. We'll see you guys next week. Next week. Peace. Peace.